0: Hello, everyone. Before I start, let me acknowledge the custodians of this land, the Gabi Gubby people, and I respect and pay my respect to elders past, present and emergent. Welcome again to um, this podcast mini-series sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership at the University of the Sunshine Coast. And this, the third episode, is a brief reflection on what we have said so far. We have had some slight technical difficulties with recording from remote areas. And in the interests of getting people from such remote areas, uh, we need to try and clear that message up. So I'm flying solo yet again. Episode number two, Maria Rasiti introduced some really interesting perspectives on this notion of getting to better together from two particular aspects. One was the fact that she is a professor in social marketing. and Social marketing has a special focus, not solely on private gain, but also, and in fact in a major way, on public good. And the second uh, theme that she introduced was um, the wonderful notion of hers of growing into her aboriginality. And I found uh, that an absolutely fascinating story in relation to self-knowledge and this notion that we will be pursuing a lot in this series of world view. What fundamental beliefs and assumptions do each of us hold, both as individuals and collectively as cultures? Let me move on to the three major themes that I think that are vitally important to this particular series, and which I mentioned in the introduction. The first is the notion of development as a process of getting better, getting more mature, getting more sophisticated, getting more complex, and able to deal with greater complexity. The second one, then, is the complexity of the issues that we face. Some are long-standing, others are pressing, and indeed represent crises. And then the third one that's significant to both of those two is the nature and significance of our worldviews and of the differences between us. For these have extraordinary influences on the process of betterment or development. As I said in the introduction, as soon as one talks about getting to better, a whole host of questions emerge. What constitutes better? Who decides what that is? What criteria are used? Who has to act? What role do government private sector, institutions and the citizenry all play in getting to better? What could be the key outcomes, both bad as well as good? How are our voices as citizens heard? And what influence do our personal and cultural worldview beliefs have in answering all of these questions? Certainly there's no shortage of conditions to be bettered. Many threaten the well-being of we humans as well as the environments about us. In other words, it is fundamentally a matter of the relationships between human beings and the world about us. And what we're increasingly recognizing is that these issues, these crises, are complex and uncertain and, I would argue, will be increasingly so. And that means, as a basic competency, we are going to have to learn, we, all of us, to deal with complexity with uncertainty, with ambiguity, all of which are really quite uncomfortable for us because that's not the way in the past we've understood nature or dealt with it. It's all been simplified. And that's a risk. Let me first look then at the long-term issues that we're facing. And in fact, there is no better way of doing that than looking at the 17 goals of the United Nations for Sustainable Development. This, as it was argued in the document that was released in 2015, is a universal call to action, to end poverty, to protect the planet, and to ensure that all people on Earth enjoy peace and prosperity by the year 2030. There are 17 such goals, and I think it's worth reading at least some of them. To give you some indication of these long-standing issues, the first one is to eliminate poverty on a worldwide scale. Then there is the issue of zero hunger, of eliminating hungry, food-insecure people. The third is to ensure good health and well-being of the populace at large. Then there are matters to do with quality education, with gender equality. There's the matter of clean water and sanitation and affordable and clean energy. Turning then to more economic factors, the decent work and economic growth are key goals, as are industry innovation and infrastructure. In terms of social issues, reduced inequalities in all aspects, whether it's to do with gender or race or income, wealth, the challenge of sustainable cities and of sustainable communities is another goal. Responsible consumption and production. A major, major issue, which is simply put here as a goal, but in fact, I would argue, is an overall challenge, is that of climate action. And we will have a lot more to say about that in further episodes, for there is nothing more complex or uncertain or ambiguous than that as a fundamental issue challenging the way human beings and nature coexist. There is the matter then in terms of goals of life below the water and water itself, in other words the world's oceans and their well-being and health as it were. Number 15 goal is entitled life on land and that in essence is this issue of us and the biophysical environment around us and how we coexist. Peace, justice and strong institutions are obviously key to all of this and bear particular responsibilities uh, to governments and to matters of law and order. And number 17 goal is an interesting observation that in fact unless there are partnerships between citizens and governments and private sector and institutions, then it is unlikely that any of these goals will be achieved. I should point out that for each of these 17, there are a series of targets and indicators. And in fact, in all, there are more than 200 of these. Now, this might all sound somewhat remote, all global, if you will, but they all have local implications. And the old adage of Think Global, Act Local stands as really important as a foundation to what it is that these sustainability goals are trying to indicate. That was a long and complicated list of threats, long-term issues that relate to what needs to be bettered. There are then also the more familiar, perhaps, crises Uh, that are immediate to all of us. The notion in Australia particularly of fires, of floods, of droughts, and of market collapses and economic recession. All of these represent crises which, again, might appear relatively straightforward, but indeed are not. Because, like the Sustainability Development Goals, they are all interconnected. One can't just fix one without having to deal with all of the others, in one way or another. And then, of course, as we are all now terribly familiar, there is the COVID-19 pandemic. There is the disease itself, and then there are all the other effects, side effects sometimes called, but in fact they're more than side, they're central. Issues to do with social lockdown, with social distancing, and then with the outcomes to do with loss of employment, the closure of businesses and bankruptcies. And there is the issue of ecological degradation that is often both an outcome and, in fact, a source. It is um, fairly clearly established that, indeed, the source of COVID-19, the virus, were were wildlife, Uh, whether it was bats or whether it was uh, other wild animals, as it were, used for food in open markets but any event this is an indication of how as humans we become closer and closer to wildlife and therefore expose ourselves more and more to these viruses and other pathogens that are present in in wild animals to which we have no immunity So with all of these situations, these long-term matters and these short-term crises or crises, the question is, so what's to be done? As we noted with the Sustainability Goals, there is this universal call to action. These actions need to lead to sustainable, responsible and inclusive development for better. In other words, as we stressed right at the beginning, development means better. And that will need better knowledge better judgment, and, we would argue, better collaboration and cooperation between all of us. So who's going to do all of this? Well, we are. We are getting to better together. That means citizens working with governments, with private sectors and institutions. And this actually means that we have to take some of our responsibilities back from the power and influence that we have given traditionally, to governments, to institutions, to science and technology, and most significantly, perhaps, to the marketplace. The question arises of of how we do get back without resorting to, to anarchy. It's not that governments are irrelevant, it's that governments have to deal with really, really difficult decisions, essentially between, on the one hand, private gain, and on the other, public good, where public good, of course, is inclusive, both of the public and of the environment in which we live. So the question arises, how do we now collectively organise ourselves, local, regional and in the end, global? Well, for a start, we need to start talking with and not to each other. And here is a paradox of modernity, of the social media It has never been easier in the history of mankind to communicate with each other. However, what we communicate is open. We can almost say in a totally uncensored way what it is that we want to say. We can promote what it is that we want to say. And using electronic media means that we often lose the subtlety of language that disappears when we move from face-to-face to talking into microphones or texting on keyboards. We need a whole new set of skills, of competencies and knowledge. And in this latter context, it's knowledge not least about ourselves. There's a long standing adage statement that what each of us does in and to this world about us is very strongly influenced by how as individuals, we see it, how do we make sense Of our experiences as it were. Well it turns out that we do that essentially through a filter, a filter of different sets of beliefs and assumptions about the realities that we are experiencing, our so-called world views. There are three sets of beliefs and assumptions that are particularly important to the way we behave in this world, to what we do we treat each other and how we treat the world. The first is the nature of nature, the nature of reality. The second is the nature of human nature, the matter of human values, of human judgment, of ethics and aesthetics. And thirdly, there is the nature of knowledge and how we come to know what we know. These three aspects of our worldviews will present the Foundations for the continuing themes that we run throughout these podcasts, and we will greatly expand as we go on, because the essential thesis that we're presenting in this mini series is that it is differences in our respective worldviews that determine whether or not we will be able to effectively work together to getting better. Let me take just a few little examples from those three sets of assumptions. The first one, the nature of nature. Are we part of nature or is it there out there for us to exploit? The traditional notion of modernity and industrialization is the latter. Nature is there for us to exploit, it provides services for humankind. The alternative view is that nature has its own intrinsic values and that indeed we are part of that nature and not just external exploiters of it. The second issue of human nature. I've mentioned already the issue and the distinction between private gain and public good. Now That's a relatively simple distinction. And in fact, as we explore notions of ethics and values and judgment, we find much, much greater complexity. We differ as individuals and as cultures, between matters such as, what causes harm? Should we do harm? What represents good? How do we do good? What's just? What's equitable? What's inclusive? These are all questions of ethics. And surprisingly, perhaps, we differ quite significantly in our answers to those questions. And finally, this issue of knowledge. As an example, do we trust knowledge? Or do we go with our intuitions? We've had examples over recent years of notions such as fake news, of alternative facts and realities, of hoaxes. These notions are all examples of people's idea of what constitutes knowledge. There is this weird notion at the moment of science denialism of actually denying the very essence of what science does as a way of coming to know. And on the other side, there is too often the rejection of intuitive knowledge or indigenous knowledge, traditional knowledge. So in essence, to get to better together means, as I've just said, starting with self-knowledge. What do we know about ourselves? And the more we know about ourselves, the more likely we are going to be able to actually work together, first of all by recognising differences and then by accommodating them. It might well be that this sounds just idealistic, that it's never going to be uh, any better than it is now or has been in the past. And my response to that is, well, it had better be. Because the issues that we face, that long list of sustainable development goals uh, and the crises that we face, including pandemics and climate change and so on, are going to demand that we learn to know much more about the world about us, about ourselves as societies and collectives, about ourselves as individuals in terms of our beliefs and our judgments. And let me just finish up with, I think, a primary example of distinctions and the difficulties that these distinctions present by simply mentioning the recent American elections and indeed the state of many of the things that are occurring in that nation at the moment, which we can comment upon at a distance. The USA, quite extraordinarily, has a terrible record with respect to the coronavirus pandemic, with roughly a quarter of the total infections and a fifth of the total number of deaths at over 420,000 in the world. That's an extraordinary situation in a country that we all imagine has a record of being certainly the wealthiest and the most organised, best educated and so on in the world. The insurrection that occurred in early January with groups of people actually invading the Congress is an indication of what we would call polarized politics, where polarized politics again are a wonderful example of distinct differences between the worldviews of, let for simplicity, called two sets of different people. One that argues that governments should be minimal and should just allow essentially uh, the marketplace to rule. And on the other hand, the view that that's just not going to happen because the marketplace is soulless. It has a single value, the value of profit. And that what we are seeing around us, whether it be pandemics or climate change, are indications that that is not necessarily the most successful way for humans to interrelate either with each other or with the rest of nature about us. In our next episode, Tammy Harriet, who is the manager of our unit, SIDSL, will expand in conversation with me on some of these matters of politics in the United States as they exemplify matters that we are addressing in this series. So until then, thank you for listening and we'll catch up next time.